This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Scott Ferreira, Director of Technology and Entrepreneur in Residence at Polyant, and CEO and CTO at Hiro, and also the CEO and founder of MySocialCloud.com that was acquired by Reputation.com. And in this episode, we'll talk about this acquisition process, the fundraising process for My Social Club, Cloud, sorry, uh, for which Scott was actually raising while he was in college. And we'll talk about all the aspects of fundraising while you're in college. And also we'll talk about selling your company, you know. So, Scott, yeah, let's certainly. kick off by your by you giving us some background on yourself and some background on my social cloud. Yeah, certainly. I just want to say thank you again for having me on the show here today. To give a, a little bit of color to what you just mentioned, uh, I've, I've loved creating and building things since I can remember. Uh, and my social cloud was really my first official company that I started my freshman year at USC over in California. And it was exciting because even though I was studying architecture and urban development, I had always had this pull towards technology and I really enjoyed coding uh, and am a self-taught programmer since uh, I can remember. And got to dabble in some of that as we were starting my social cloud over there in Los Angeles. So I think, you know, as, as everybody will hear today, uh, it's, it's, I've had an exciting ride of entrepreneurship the past really 10 or 11 years. And that's included fundraising for four or five companies now having three acquisitions and, getting to experience some really cool things along the way. So thank you for having me and, and letting me share some of my experience here. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm pretty sure that the episode is going to be awesome. And let's start this awesomeness by your first, I believe, company, My Social Cloud. And let's talk how you, how did the fundraising process go? When did you decide to raise money? Certainly. Yeah. So it was really interesting because at first we had just launched it kind of on campus. And, and when I say launch, it was very loose. I was I had built the system uh, that I knew I needed to, to be successful in my day-to-day life as a student. And as it turned out, there were many others who needed a similar system as well. And so to give everybody the high level, my social cloud stored usernames and passwords and could automatically log you in to just about any website online. And this came about because the other username and password system that I had been using could not automatically log me in to most of my student websites. And I was amazed by that. And so I had set out to to build one that did. Sure enough, um, after building for about a year, year and a half, uh, I was in L.A. over the summer and and decided – to, to really push on my social cloud and see what we could make happen. And we, we were, we as in my sister and I were browsing Twitter one day and came across a tweet from Richard Branson of the Virgin Group. And you have to remember, Twitter was still very much in its early stages back in 2009, 2010. So I think Branson had maybe in the tens of thousands of followers, maybe he had crossed a hundred. I, I don't quite remember, but it, it wasn't, Twitter was not the platform that we all think of today. Right. And 
but but we had seen this tweet that he was getting ready to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Virgin Atlantic over in Miami. And in doing so, he wanted to meet uh, up kind of upcoming entrepreneurs that were really getting after a new cool idea that could really impact people's lives. And so we emailed in. The tweet was already four or five days old, so we didn't think much of it. Sure enough, though, we ended up getting an email back saying, hey, if you can make the $4,000 donation to Virgin Unite and you can get to Miami in the next 48 hours, we'll save you a spot. Well, you, you, you better believe <laughs> we, we wanted to do everything in our power to get over there to Miami for this opportunity. No idea what it would really mean for us, right? <laughs> Well, luckily, luckily, our father at the time um, was willing to loan us the money. We had to come up with a quick payback plan. Uh, he thought we were getting scammed. You know, this was again <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. Twitter was really young, right? Um, so, you know, what are you doing sending money to somebody through? You know, because of a tweet, right? Very bizarre back then. But um, sure enough, donated the money, booked our flights, got over to Miami. And it was the real deal. Uh, Branson ended up showing up to the event. We got to spend some time talking to him about what we were up to. And he loved what we were up to so much that he invited us to stay the rest of the weekend uh, and join in on some of the meetings and, and some of the parties that were happening. So it was, it was a great weekend in Miami. And when we got back to Los Angeles then, we had promised that we would follow up once we were ready for kind of the next version of the platform. And um, sure enough, uh, we, we reached out about a week later and he sent out some people, uh, one of his investment partners from Insight Venture Partners. And I think it was an engineer or two from Twitter and maybe SoundCloud or something. Um, so it was kind of funny that, you know, we, we had this opportunity because of Twitter, and then we had an engineer from Twitter coming out to, to look at what we had, right? right. Um, and, and sure enough, you know, to try to keep a, a very long story short, um, he, his investment partner and them decided to invest uh, right around $1.5 million to let us explore what my social cloud could become. So I was, I think I was 20 years old. Um, I was, you know, a sophomore at USC and decided to take a leave of absence all because of a tweet. And, uh, and, and it's really, it's really unique. And that, and that's, I think what you and I had even talked about when we first got together. Um, you know, you always want to be thinking about creative ways to find funding. There, there is no one correct way, right? There are a lot of different ways, and at least in my experience, the more creative you get with it uh, and the more you're willing to kind of put yourself out there, the better. And, and it's tough, right? Not a lot of people, uh, we, we certainly recognize not a lot of people would have the opportunity to borrow $4,000 from, from, mm-hmm. from their parents um, or, or anybody maybe, but you've got to find a way to make it work sometimes. Right. Um, and, and for us, we, we were fortunate enough that we were able to borrow the money, uh, from our father, 
But, you know, that summer we were we were working on a number of other ways to keep our business going while we were trying to get it off the ground. You know, prior to the, my, the Branson investment, we had a few kind of small friends and family round invest, investors, but it wasn't the, you know, these big funding rounds like sometimes people think of. So it's really important to try to get creative and find find opportunities out there to get in front of the people that you think can make your business successful. The the one backup to that, and sorry, I, I might be going a little long here, but the one backup to that is you got to be honest with yourself as to whether or not you have something that is investable, right? Mm-hmm. If we had met Branson and, and and his investors and we hadn't been where we were at, um, you know, you don't always need a product, but you have to be far enough along thinking through a company that you have to be honest with yourself about where you're at to get that investment. And so um, for us, it was the right time, the right offering, the right people that all came together to make that happen. Right. And before we move on to that part, to, the, to going deeper a little bit in the fundraising process and how uh investors react to your young age and uh you know having a co-founder as your sister i want to ask you this uh when do you think is the right timing so you said that you have to be at the right time you have to be investable basically how do you decide if you're investable so in my opinion being investable yeah. means you have some sort of traction and you know some understanding of where you're heading uh what problem are you solving uh what's that in your opinion yeah, it's a great question, and, and it's a, and admittedly, it's a tough one to answer. But I, I think at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to trying to analyze the arc of your business and recognize where you're at in that trajectory, mm-hmm. um, and what that's going to mean for fundraising. Because really, you could fundraise at just about any stage, right? You yeah. could fundraise off of an idea. You could fundraise with 10 users. You could fundraise with 10,000 users, right? You've just then got to set different expectations. And I see all too often founders come in with really, you know, misguided expectations on how they're going to raise. You know, I see a lot that want to do Uber for X. It's an idea, (laughs) And they want to raise, you know, two million at a fifty million cap. Yeah. Well, you know, that's tough, right? Because Uber for X has already been done so many times that you're not gonna get that wow factor and, and you're not gonna get people excited about the idea, right? However, yeah. there are some. My favorite current example is an app called Clubhouse. I don't know if you've heard of this yet, but um, I think they have a thousand users. The founders, people don't even really know who the founders are. They don't have a website. They don't have LinkedIn profiles. They don't have crunch-based profiles, right? All these things that a lot of founders believe, oh, no, we've got to have a website. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. Well, look, for their business, they don't need any of that. And they just raised $12 million at a $100 million valuation. How crazy is that? <laughs> that is crazy enough for me to ask you a question. What does Clubhouse do? Because I have not heard of it. Great question. So it is a social app 
that is a uh, voice first or really i think it's voice only so like if you had a clubhouse channel um you could you could say hey i'm going live and anybody who follows your channel can immediately listen in so it's almost like live podcasting right but but very specific so you have to actually invite people uh, or yeah, people have to be invited to be able to listen to your live channel. So, um, so it's a very, it, it, it's, I think it's getting that really big valuation because investors see that this is really the first of a kind. Everybody's focused on podcasting where people can listen later, but mm-hmm. nobody's really done or done it well where you can only listen in at the moment that that person chooses to go live. So imagine, imagine you were invited to Elon Musk's clubhouse uh, room, right? Mm-hmm. So you would get to listen in whenever he decided to go live. You better believe a lot of people that follow him would drop whatever they are doing <laughs> to listen in whenever because that's the only time it's available. You right. can't listen to it, you know, and the next hour or the next day or the next week. It's only available in that very moment. So um, anyway, I don't want to deep dive too far there, but I think it's a great example of there is no one path for fundraising. You know, mm-hmm. there are lots of different ways to fundraise and the more creative you get and and the more you try to do what's best for your company, you know, we started with, well, when is the right time to fundraise? You know, you've got to be, you've got to be looking at a lot of the different factors for you and for your company to truly decide that. And hopefully, you know, you, you hopefully you can find a few entrepreneurs. Uh, they don't have to be these big name entrepreneurs. Just find somebody in your local community to bounce some ideas off of. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, hey, this is where my business is at. What do you, you know, do you think it's time for me to raise money? Asking some of those questions to people or even reaching out on Twitter. I have a number of people that message me on on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. And and I give a quick, you know, two to three minute response. And I, I don't I, I don't pretend to have the answer, but I like to think I can I can help uh, ask a few questions that that can point people in the right direction. Perfect. That's that's a great advice. I highly recommend you guys and girls doing the same exact thing because it really does make sense. And a lot of founders are actually really happy to help, uh, which for my European listeners sounds weird. Uh, in America, we do this. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah and I was going to say, I don't think we mentioned it in the beginning. I, I'm not sure if you include this in the notes, but my Twitter handle is just my first name, and my last name all together. Uh, so I'll, I'll maybe spell that out at the end of this, or hopefully it'll be in some notes, but uh, I'll, I'll give everybody my Twitter handle so they can feel free to tweet at me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I'll definitely leave a link to your Twitter in the description of this episode. So if you want to tweet Scott, feel free to do so. so but before we move on to getting creative in the fundraising process, I was curious about your experience fundraising the really early age so you said that you were 20 years old when you went to that event in miami but you still raised a pretty significant amount of money right 
what do right. you think investors think about you know younger entrepreneurs do you, does that actually drive away some of the interest or is it in the contrary bringing some interest into the company yeah so at least in my experience i think it's it's helped open some doors um you know everybody is so caught up in trying to find that next big thing uh and get it from that that younger generation that I actually think it it's it can be an advantage. But that said, you really have to be able to showcase why you're that individual who uh, has the advantage there, right? And so for me, um, you know, I had a lot of work to back up um, uh, what I was talking about, right? I, I had started a nonprofit in high school. Um, I had pretty good grades. I was a really hard worker. So even if I didn't know something, I, I knew how to jump in and learn really quickly. And, and I think they look for those things more than anything else, right? right? And so if you can showcase, hey, look, you know, I might be young, but I'm 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 willing to learn and I'm willing to work hard to make up for that maybe inexperience because experience is valuable, right? Um, we, we can't discount that, but as long as you're willing to work hard, ask good questions and learn from those around you, uh, I think, I think you'll find a lot of investors willing to take a chance on you. True, true. And here I actually want to go a little bit deeper into this topic and ask you, how do you showcase that? So how do you showcase your, for example, good grades or some of the past projects or of course, you can showcase past projects pretty easily, you know, in the conversation or something like that. But how can you showcase something like good grades or some, you know, something that proves that you're a hard worker in a in a normal way so that you don't sound like a creep? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult because again, this is gonna kind of vary. But at least at least for me, I had the benefit of the first company. Uh, or first nonprofit I had started uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I could point to that and, and showcase, hey, uh, this is where we started. We, I mean, we started from scratch, but then like this is how we built up. This is how we got people around us to answer questions that we might not have been familiar with. And, and so I tried to walk them through my thought process more <laughs> than showing them any particular success. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's what drives a company is if you have the right mentality uh, to ask the right questions, to think through problems in a creative way uh, or to think about solutions to problems in a creative way. That's what they're investing in. You know, I know no company that I've been a part of has ever gone perfectly smoothly. Right? right. There's always something that happens uh, and, and, and is and is difficult. And so you've got to try to showcase how you ask the right questions to get through uh, any problems you might encounter. And admittedly, I think that's actually a lot easier than than people might think. Try try to think of any time personally or professionally that you had to overcome a hardship or a setback. And just try to walk walk them through how you overcame that hardship and setback. And and guess what? If you can't ask yourself before going in to those meetings, if you can't ask yourself that question and have a good answer, you need more time. 
you're not ready to fundraise yet, right? Um, so, so that does kind of answer an earlier question as well. <laughs> but um, you, you really got to be able to have a lot of these questions read or a lot of these answers ready. And, and oftentimes you want to ask the question and then also answer it so that they understand uh, the thought process behind uh, how, how you're problem solving. Right. That's, that's great advice. And here I want to touch on to really quickly onto the acquisition of my social cloud, and then we'll move on to discussing how creative people can get in the fundraising process. So was the acquisition of uh, my social cloud actually planned or did you just, you know, get a request from uh, uh, reputation.com that saying like, Hey, we want to acquire you guys. How, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, that one was was kind of unique. So my social cloud was what's considered B to C, so business to consumer, where we had users on our platform uh, using it on a daily or weekly basis. But we knew to really grow, we wanted to get enterprise clients, right? We wanted to get businesses signed up um, so, so that that's how we could generate revenue and grow the platform. And so one of our investors was also an investor in reputation.com. And he had set up the introduction to say, hey, um, you know, they might want to white label your product. And uh-huh. so um, we, we had a few initial meetings. And after a few discussions, we were actually in their office in, um, in Redwood City up near San Francisco and rather than white labeling our product, they, they ended up putting forth an offer to acquire the company. <laughs> and so that, that was, again, I was 20, I think I was 22 at the time. So, you know, to be 22 years old with a pretty substantial offer for acquisition was a really big deal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I had a, a fair amount of back and forth in deciding what that might look like. And after a few more conversations and after some back and forth with our investors, we ultimately decided that that would be a good path. And I, and I think, um, you know, are there things that I kind of wish we could have done differently? Sure. I think, you know, any, any founder is going to have a bit of that, but overall, I think it was a, it was a great acquisition that really allowed um, us to, to get experience with a, with another big startup. I mean, they considered themselves a startup, but they were three. Well, I think when we, when we were acquired, they were around 200 employees. And then when I ended up leaving, they were maybe around 300 employees. So, you know, that is pretty substantial growth for a small company. Right. So it was, it was great to be able to see that. And it, and it's actually amazing. A, A few of our team members still work there. Um, you know, that was seven years ago now, but I think that's a testament to, uh, you know, how great of a company they were or are and, uh, and, and kind of the deal that we got worked out for our team members. So definitely. And that's, that's absolutely true. And here we're moving on to the creativity part. So you raised money from Team Draper once. And just for those of you who don't know who Tim Draper is, he's a billionaire, really famous uh, investor here in the U.S. So tell, tell us, how, how did this happen? 
Yeah. So Tim Draper, that hit, that was a great one. Um, so we were actually, it was for my kind of second major company free bike project. And we were uh, a part of their Draper hero university in San Mateo. And we had gone through the sessions and we were kind of a unique one because we had a business that was generating revenue. We were growing. So I was managing the day to day and I wasn't officially a part of the program, but one of our co-founders was, and towards the end, um, he, he challenged him to a bike race around hero university <laughs> for, you know, for kind of jokingly, but ended up, you know, not so much for, for a, a percentage of the company. Right. So, um, you know, if we win, we get and we get an extra percentage point. Or if he wins, he'll get an extra percentage point. And so um, it was just a really fun thing. I think I, I meant to actually try to find it. I'll see if I can find the video. I know we have a video of that race somewhere, uh, and I think somebody had put it on YouTube. But you know, it's just a fun way to to get engagement with you know, somebody who, who was looking to invest and, and ultimately did end up investing. And, and, you know, we had kind of that fun uh, investment story, right? Um, and, and it worked well for us because we, we had bikes, so we were able to play off of that really well. So I always encourage founders to think about, you know, what are you building and what do you have that maybe you can play off of from an investment point of view? Mm-hmm. So I think I had mentioned, you know, there have been some where, uh, you know, if you have a product or service even, maybe try finding a company that really wants to use that product and service. And rather than trying to get them to buy, to get a first mover, maybe offer it to them for free, but ask for an investment so that as the company grows and as they help out from a first mover advantage point of view, um, you all kind of grow together, right? So I I know I may be jumping ahead a little bit. That's separate (laughs) of the free bike project (laughs) example, but you've, you've got to find a way. I think the one thing that I really wanted to leave your, your audience with here is you've got to find a way to get creative. So, you know, the first company for me, it was Twitter. The second company uh, it was a kind of a bike race with Tim Draper and, and going around Draper University. The one that we might we, we might need a second episode for because people always go crazy about it. But one of the ones that I did more recently with my sister, Stacy, we actually lived with Elon Musk for a few months uh, while we were co-founding that company with his then wife, Tallulah Musk. And so, um, you know, that was a really unique experience and and kind of opportunity. So you've got to be out there getting creative and finding unique opportunities. The board with Elon Musk really does sound extremely, extremely interesting. So we'll probably talk about that (laughs) after this episode is over, because otherwise we'll we'll get too deep into this and we'll go way, way over 30 minute limits. So let's let's go. Tune in. Tune in to the second episode sometime in the future. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. Probably we'll do that. But here, let's move on to the last two questions of this episode. And one is, 
Uh, I asked this question to most of the successful founders who recently or just in general sold one of their companies in the past. And the question is, do you, after, after selling the company, do you do any angel investments yourself or do you do any advisory roles as a officially? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I do some angel investing and, and do advise some. As you can imagine, my time is, is very limited right now. So more often than not, if people reach out, I try to put them in touch with somebody that I think is really going to help them. Because I, you know, I can only help so much and I, I try to do my best in recognizing my limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so often I, I probably am not the best advisor, but people can still ask me questions. And if I have the time, I, I try to answer as much as possible. Um, but more often than not, I, I have a very big network and I try to introduce people that I think could be more directly impactful on whatever that entrepreneur is working, working on. Awesome. That's great to hear. And the last question is the call to action. Uh, the rhyme is not intended, but what's your <laughs> to the audience right now? What should they do? What's that one thing that they should do as soon as this episode is over? Yeah. Yeah. What I'd love is one of the projects uh, that I have, um, or really the new company, uh, is in the emoji domain space. So if people could tweet at me, my Twitter handle is just Scott Ferreira. So S-C-O-T-T, F as in Frank, E-R-R-E-I-R-A. Uh, tweet at me your top four or five favorite emojis, uh, and then I'll tweet something fun and unique back at you. Sounds so, good. So tweet at me your top fav- four or five favorite emojis, and I'll tweet back at you. Perfect. We'll, I'll definitely include your Twitter in the description of this episode. So call to action for today's episode is tweet Scott. If you're not into emojis, <laughs> still tweet Scott because he might give yeah. you advice. So we'll wrap it up here. Thank Scott for, the, for, for taking your time to participate in Fundraising Radio. I think that was a wonderful, super fun episode. Uh, tons of creativity. You know, I love when uh, people get creative when fundraising. So thanks a lot for sharing those stories. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to coming back in the future.